Okay. I want you to, I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind. Bible hero. Bible hero. Somebody brave, raise your hand and volunteer. Tell me who you thought of. Who'd you think of? Samson. All right. Who else? David and Goliath. Who else? Abraham. Daniel. Jesus. Good answer. Rebecca. Who said that? Hey, okay, we're getting at something here. Notice, if we're honest, most of the time when we hear the phrase Bible hero, most of us, our first, second, third, maybe fourth or fifth top people are all men. They're all men. So here's what I want to talk about today. In the ancient world, patriarchy was the standard. Patriarchy comes from Greek words, pater means father, arche means rule. It was the rule of the father or the rule of men. It was the standard in the ancient world. Men were the rulers. It was usually the father, the the head of the house who was the ruler. And in many ways, the Bible reflects that reality. The Bible reflects patriarchy. The the ancient Israel, the ancient Greco-Romans, they were all patriarchal cultures. And so in many ways, when we read stories of the Bible, we see that. In light of that fact, however, what I want to talk about in this new series is that there are a surprising number of female heroes, women heroes. Uh, I think the kids today call them sheroes. But I, I don't uh, on one hand, I don't like that because I don't like the fact that women heroes, we treat differently than men heroes. There are female heroes in the Bible, and they show up throughout critical times in, in Bible history, throughout Israel's history, as well as uh, the, the history of the New Testament church. There are these women who show up at critical times, and they act as saviors and rescuers and heroes in the story, often deliverers of God's word or deliverers of God's people. And so, um, and we don't often talk about these stories, right? I, I've done, uh, there have been several series where I've gone through, and I'm like, man, I didn't even talk about a woman in that. And I just, because most of the stories that we're familiar with in the Bible are stories of men. But as I started thinking about it, there are just dozens of stories of powerful, strong, rescuing women who show up in the story, and we should talk about them. One, because they're there in the story, and two, because we have, you know, women who are here, and women do great things, and we want, you know, we, we relate to people, and so if we're, I, I don't think that you have to be um, a man to learn from a story from a man. I don't think you have to be a woman to learn from a story from a woman, but I think we ought to talk about both, and so because we're often so heavy on one side, we're going to do an entire series on female heroes in the Bible. Uh, so what I want to point out here is this is a series about women. Okay, this is a series about women, but it's not a series just for women. Okay, men, we talk about men heroes a lot, and the women sit here and they learn from them, and there's things they can learn. There are things that we as men can learn from the female heroes in the Bible as well. so before we look at the first of our unsung heroes, they're unsung because we don't often talk about them, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about a few people today that you probably, if I were to mention their names out of context, you probably wouldn't even know who I was talking about. But before we get there, I want to do just a little introduction to women in the Bible and the first woman in the Bible. Uh, 
one of the things that Jesus teaches us in his ministry is that we can look back to the beginning to understand what God's original intention for people was. He says, in the beginning, this was the way things were. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how things were in the beginning. Um, And so I'm going to start with a question. Was patriarchy, man rule, was that God's original intention from the beginning? To answer that question, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. Whether or not you believe that the story of Genesis that we're going to talk about is a literal story, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that this shows us God's intention for people from the beginning. We're going to ask the question, was patriarchy God's intention? Uh, So here is God's set up for humankind prior to the introduction of sin, as we're told in the story. Genesis chapter 2, we'll start in verse 7. Here's what the writer tells us. Then the Lord God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then as the story progresses, we talk about there's, you know, rivers and all sorts of other stuff. And, and then we get to verse 18, and here's what God says. The, the man is, is here in original paradise. Some things happen. God looks down on the situation. And here's what God says. The Lord God said in verse 18, it is what? Not good. It is not good that man, for the man to be alone. Now, up to this point in the story, everything that God has done has been good or very good, Right? And then we finally get to the story where the first thing that we see in the story that is not good is the loneliness of man. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a what? Helper suitable for him. Now, I don't know about many of you, but I grew up on uh, learning and being taught from the King James Bible. Anybody else? King James, what you grew up on? That's how I grew up. Here's how this verse is rendered in the King James. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and what? And help meet for him. Now, let me ask you a question. The, the underlined phrase there, how many words is that? Two. Two words. Now, growing up, we always used the word help meet as one word. We, referred, we often referred to women, wives, as help meets. It was one word. I don't know how that happened, but it's not one word. It's two words. Help Meet. We're going to talk about that. These two words in English come from two corresponding Hebrew words. Here they are. Ezer Konegdo. Everybody say Ezer Konegdo. There you go. You learned some Hebrew today, right? You can you know, impress somebody with that this week. Ezer Konegdo. These are the two words in Hebrew that are translated help meet in uh, the old English King James or as helper suitable in uh, the more modern versions. Um, so, Ezer is the word that's translated as help or helper. Konegdo is the word that's translated as meet or suitable. Now, some people, and even still today, there are some Christians and some uh, theologians and Christian teachers who will say that this phrase is meant to sub- suggest uh, subservience, that from the beginning, God created females to be subservient to men. They look at this phrase and they say, Helper, suitable, as you're connected, that this is a phrase that means that women were created from the beginning to be subservient to men. And on the surface, that kind of makes sense, right? We think about helpers. We usually think of somebody who is subservient to the person that they're helping, 
right? We talk about good help is hard to find. Usually the help that we talk about are people who is subservient to the person who's finding them. We usually think of the word helper sort of like assistant or subordinate. This is generally how we think of that word. But, and here's what I want you to, to get from this, that's not at all what this phrase means. And to illustrate that, I'm going to show you a few places from the Old Testament where, uh, where this word ezer is used. A few other places. One of the principles for biblical interpretation, for those of you who are into that sort of thing, is that looking at other ways that a word is used helps us understand the fullness of what that word means. So we're going to look at a few of the other places where this word ezer shows up in the Old Testament. The first place is in Exodus chapter 18. I'll just read it to you. One son, one of Moses' sons, was named Gershom. For Moses said, I have become a stranger in a foreign land. Oftentimes in Scripture, when you read the names of somebody, those names often indicate that they, they were named with a purpose. The, their naming was um, associated with their conditions when they were born or what happened. So the first son of Moses was named Gershom. And Gershom means foreigner. I, was, I became a foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, the other was named Eliezer. Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my what? Helper, my Ezer. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this name, Eliezer, comes from two Hebrew words. El means God. Ezer means helper, right? This is the same word that, that is used to describe the function of the woman that was created in Genesis, Ezer. And then it explains further. The reason the child was named this was because who was Moses' helper in this? God. God was the Ezer. Now, if Ezer, helper, is intended to be a subordinate position, a, a um, submissive and subservient position, do you think God was subordinate to Moses? No, of course not. Here we see that the, the, the meaning of Ezer is a word that means helper, not as an assistant or a subordinate, but somebody who comes along and rescues and saves. This refers to strength, not to subservience. Here's another one, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 70, verse 5. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help, my Ezer. And my deliverer, Lord, do not delay. All throughout the Old Testament, this word Ezer is used in reference to God in the context of a savior or a rescuer or a deliverer. The point I want to make is that the word that God uses to describe the, the female companion to the man that he created is Ezer. It's a word that means strength, not subservience. It's a word that means strength, not subservience. So that's Ezer. The second word we talked about, anybody remember? Ezer Konegdo. Ezer Konegdo. It's a word that means similar, corresponding to, or equal to. Similar, corresponding to, or equal to. In other words, it was a, a, a similar type being to the one that was created. So we have the man, and then we have the Ezer Konegdo, the woman, the helper who was Similar to, corresponding to, or equal to. 
Now, what's interesting is I have a friend, uh, and my friend thinks that the word konegno is actually used to illustrate that the woman was not supposed to be superior to man because of the use of the word ezer, which is always in reference to God as a deliverer, that konegno actually brought the woman down to equal instead of being above. Interesting theory. I don't know if I completely buy it, but it's an interesting theory. What we see here for sure, though, is that the, the phrase Ezra Konegdo refers to a, 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 a helper in the sense of a strong equal. Uh, in, as a matter of fact, one Jewish rabbi by the name of David Freeman translates the phrase this way, a power equal to man. I will create a power equal to him is how he translates Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, in reference to the woman. So what we see here, here's the point I want to make sure you get from this. I'll read this to you. Neither male superiority nor female subservience in either value or function was God's original intention. Neither male superiority nor female subservience in either value or function. And I included that because there are some people who will say, well, men and women are equal in value, but not in function. But that's not what we see from the beginning. Neither of these were God's original intention. In other words, as we're going to see, as, we, as you go through the story of the Old Testament and the Bible, you see that patriarchy is introduced very quickly into the story. After sin is introduced into the world... Patriarchy comes along very quickly, but what we're going to see, patriarchy was a result of sin, not God's original intention. I want to make sure that that's very clear. So with that extended introduction, we're now going to look at our first sets of unsung heroes, so you can turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up here on the screen. I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So Exodus chapter 2, if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, you know that there was Adam and Eve, and then there was sin introduced into the world, and then all sorts of things happened, and then we're introduced to a man named Abraham, and God calls Abraham to a foreign land and promises Abraham that he's going to give them a new land and a, and a big family of descendants, and then so Abraham has a son, and uh, his son has 12 sons, and uh, you know, all of these things happen. These 12 sons eventually make their way into Egypt because in Egypt there was grain and there was a big famine. That leads us to Exodus. God's people, the children of Abraham, had been in Exodus or had been in Egypt for uh, about 400 years or so. They had been multiplying, growing um, exponentially. Pharaoh got concerned. He tried to. Uh, increase their labor, hoping that that would cause them to stop multiplying so fast. It didn't work. Uh, that made Pharaoh very nervous because you have this group of slaves that's starting to multiply, and if slaves multiply too much, maybe they can overtake us and overthrow us. So Pharaoh does something extreme to try to stop the slow, to, to try to slow the growth of the Hebrew people who are slaves in Egypt. So here's what Pharaoh does. Exodus chapter 2, I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 1. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah. When I told you to think of a Bible hero, how many of you thought of Shifra? Who thought of Puah? You're like, oh, Puah, that's my Bible hero. No, probably not, right? 
But as we're going to see, these women were, were heroes. They were, they were major rescuers and deliverers in the history of Israel. As a matter of fact, the very fact that we have their names recorded in Scripture is a big, big deal. There's lots of names. There, there was a whole group of male Israelite elders, Hebrew elders, who ruled the people during this time. We don't know any of their names. We don't know any of their names during this time. Whoever the, we don't even know the name of Pharaoh, according to Scripture, at this point in the story. But we're given the names of two female slaves in a world defined by patriarchy. This is a big deal. So here's what Pharaoh says to these, to these midwives. He says, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, what? Kill him. But if it is a girl, what? Let her live. Already in this description, we see the rotten fruit of patriarchy, right? Pharaoh believes that the only threat to the Egyptian people were who? The men, right? So he, he kills the threat. He allows the, the women to live under the assumption that the women were not going to be a threat to their existence. It's a big mistake, as we're going to see. Uh, story goes on, verse 17. The midwives, however, Shifra and Pua, so if you want to get a you know, Bible name tattoo, there you go. Uh, the, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now remember, Shifra and Pua are female slaves in a world where patriarchy is the standard. And so what we have here is we have slave women who are about as low on the social ladder as you can be, standing up and directly defying probably the most powerful person in the world at that time. Talk about courage and strength. By the way, they broke the law, right? What was the law? Pharaoh was the ultimate lawgiver. He gave the law. But these women, they feared God, and they understood that there were some times that disobeying the law of the land was the right thing to do if that meant obedience to God. And they chose to obey God as opposed to the law of the land when protecting life was at stake. You can learn, from, learn something from them. These women were true ezers. They were true rescuers, true saviors, and true heroes in this story. But how many of us knew their name before this morning? If I were to stop you on the street and say, who is Shifra? Well, right? Who is Pua? Like uh, Christopher Robin's friend, right? Uh, Winnie the Pua. Sorry, bad joke. Okay. In other words, we, we wouldn't have known who they were, right? And yet these women were responsible, it seems, for setting the stage for one of the most significant events in the history of the Bible, which is the Exodus. Now, when Pharaoh realized all of this, he realized that he couldn't get the midwives to do his dirty work. He gave this instruction to all the people of Israel. He tells them, um, he says, if there's any males born among you, you need to kill them. This was, became the law of the land for all Israelites. So now we're going to move to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now... A man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. 
But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar in pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds of the bank of the Nile. So we have a woman, another slave woman, who openly defies the law of the land to save the life of her son. Who knows the name of her son? Moses. Is Moses kind of a big deal? Does he, does he play a, a, a big role in Scripture, in the history of, of the Israelites? Yeah. Moses is a huge deal. But Moses wouldn't be around had it not been for this slave woman defying the most powerful man in the world and taking a stand. She was a true Ezer. She was a hero, a savior, and a rescuer. And, it, and what I love about this, if you look at the story, it doesn't say that her husband, I don't even know if her husband knew about this, right? She did it. They didn't do it. It wasn't her and her husband. She, according to the text, took this upon herself and did this on her own in defiance of the most powerful man in the world. So, so already we've seen three women, Shifra, Pua, and now Moses' mother, who are defying the land and are acting as true rescuers and saviors in Israel. We'll continue the story. Verse 4. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Introduced to another woman in the story. The story goes on. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, she wasn't a Hebrew, but she was a woman, and she knew her dad's law, right? The daughter of Pharaoh, she knew what her dad had commanded, and yet, what does she do? She felt sorry for it, and she takes the baby. Now, I love this. I love how the story plays out. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, right? So his sister is watching the whole thing from the, from the uh, sideline. She sees everything going on. His sister walks up to Pharaoh's daughter, pretty bold, and she says to, him, says to her, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I love this. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. So she got her son back. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. I just love how this works out. Now she's getting to raise her own son, and she's getting paid by Pharaoh's daughter for it, for defying Pharaoh. I just love this, these, these bold, strong, courageous women. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. As we mentioned earlier, Moses is one of the biggest heroes in the Bible, right? He's the one that the, the, the Bible tells us led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was their ultimate rescuer and deliverer from Egypt. He was the one who God gave the law to. He's the one that, you know, everybody points back to as like one of the greatest prophets of all time. And yet, he never would have survived to adulthood without the bold, courageous, defiant actions of a handful of female Ezers, of helpers, rescuers, and saviors. Strong, bold, courageous women heroes. So what I love about this is the irony of the whole thing, right? Ironically, Pharaoh, who thinks that women are no threat to his empire, are the very ones 
these women are the very ones who end up bringing about what causes the ultimate downfall of Pharaoh and his people, right? They're the very ones who prepare the way for his defeat. In this story, we see the, the whole story sets up that women are way more powerful than anybody thought. Women, can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Right? Men, can I get an amen for your wives? Right? I love this line. I, I'm reading a, a book to go along with this by a woman named uh, Tikva Frimer Kensky. Um, by the way, in order to study for the series, I'm reading women who are writing about the women of Scripture. Because one of the things I realized is that as a man, as an, inherit, as an inheritor of patriarchal type thinking, I need to look at these stories through the eyes of women. So I'm reading books and articles by women who have studied these to see what their perspective is. Because I realize that women have a different perspective on Scripture and the stories of women than I do because of what they've come from. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that I often, when I'm not here, I often try to get a woman to come up here and preach and teach because I think we need that perspective. As a matter of fact, a study just came out recently about how girls who grow up in churches where there are female ministers who, who are there to preach and to teach and to lead, they turn out better, believe it or not, right? That makes sense, that women need to see other women in leadership. We need Full representation, that's why I think it's important that we, we listen to women and their stories and their perspectives on Scripture. Uh, so here's one of the things that, that uh, Tikva Frymerkensky says in her book about women in the Old Testament, about this story. She says, three subversive daughters have foiled the plans of men and shaped the destiny of the world. And they did, right? The exodus in the Bible, is perhaps, other than Jesus, other than the coming of Jesus, is perhaps the most significant event. So much theology is drawn from the fact that God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And we often give Moses all of the credit. But we forget that Moses never would have survived had it not been for the bold courageous, defiant actions of strong, bold, courageous Ezer women. And we see that even in a world defined by patriarchy, we see that God is lifting up and raising up and highlighting the power and the strength of the second half of mankind that he created. Not to be subordinate or subservient, but to be a strong power equal to. So we've looked at a story about a time thousands of years ago, a people not like us. So a natural question when we look at stories like this is, so what? What does the story of Shifra and Pua and Moses' mom and sister and, and Pharaoh's daughter, what does that mean for us today? Well, first, I want to make sure that we walk away understanding this. Patriarchy was never God's intention. Patriarchy was never God's intention. Patriarchy was a result of sin. It was a part of the curse. As Christians, we believe that in Christ, the curse has been undone. 
And we're going to see this in a few weeks as we look at what the New Testament says about the equality of men and women. But from the very beginning, we see that that was the case. Female subservience and male superiority was never a part of God's original plan. Second, women were created for strength, not for subservience. Right? So this, this idea that, that men are the only ones who can do great exploits and women are just there to, to support and to serve. Well, there's nothing wrong with supporting and serving. It's just not strictly a female role. Women were created to be a power equal to. The third thing I want to make sure that we take away from this series as a whole is let's pay more attention to women. Let's pay more attention to the women in Scripture. Their strength, their boldness, their wisdom, they have a lot to offer us. Let's pay more attention to women today, the ones that God has created to be a power equal to. We need their voices. We need their perspectives. We need their strength. Right? Now, there's a lot of ramifications, but what this means is that women are not inherently inferior to men. And so women in the room, I want you to hear this. You are not inherently inferior to, to men. You were not created to be in subservience to men. You were created to be a power equal to. Men in the room, I want you to hear this. Women were not created to be inferior or, or, or subordinate or subservient to you, to me. They were created to be a, a Ezra Konegdo, a helper suitable, a strength, a power equal to. And we need that. We need one another. God looked at the situation. He said that one by themselves is not good. We need both sides, both perspectives. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody has to get married, right? That's not what this means. But it means that we need the full spectrum of humanity. We need the perspective that each other brings. And for far too long, especially in, I mean, throughout all of history, but even in the Christian church, we have this idea based on some misinterpretations of a few passages that women are supposed to be subordinate or subservient to men. But from the beginning, that was not so. Women were created to be a power equal to. And as we see in the story of Shifra and Pua and these women, women get stuff done. Amen, right? Women get stuff done. And as we're going to see, women provided throughout history, we, we have all of these men heroes, but women were always there as the backbone. And they, they show up at these times when, when there's crisis and end up being the ones to bring about deliverance and rescue. But because we've been so trained to think in terms of patriarchy, we often miss that story. So in this series as a whole, I want to just stop and I want to focus on the lives and the stories of women like Shifra and Pua and Moses' mother and sister and Pharaoh's daughter who can teach us the incredible power of the women, both in Scripture and in our lives. Women matter. And so we're going to take some time in this series to sing the songs of these unsung heroes, these female heroes in Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have recorded for us in Scripture these stories. We thank you that you've recorded for us your original intention for humankind. Lord, we thank you that you saw the creation of man. You looked down and you said something's not good and you made a remedy for it. You created an Ezra Konegdo, a suitable helper a power equal to. 
Father, we thank you for these stories in Scripture of these strong, powerful, courageous women who at critical and pivotal times in the history of your people showed up as deliverers, rescuers, and saviors of your people. Father, I pray that as we go through this series that you would, uh, if, if we've been trained to think in terms of patriarchy, if we've, been, if we've been brought up with patriarchal language and ways of thought, that you would help to break us from that, that you'd help us to pay attention to these women in Scripture, to learn from them. Father, and to learn from the women around us, from their perspectives, from their strength, from their abilities, that you would help us, God, not to suppress their abilities and their power, but that you would, as a church, that we would be a place where the full flourishing of all humans can happen, and that the, the strong, powerful women that you've created would have room to flourish and grow and serve and function in all of the fullness without man-made limits or restraints. Father, may we see the women in Scripture and the women in our eyes through your eyes, the women in our lives through your eyes. May we have our perspective altered. Father, may you continue to raise up strong, powerful, capable, courageous, bold, and defiant women in our lives and in our times. May your voice be heard through them and your love be demonstrated through them and your strength be shown through them in their lives. May we be a place as a church where they are allowed and encouraged to flourish. Father, may they teach us and lead us as well. Father, thank you that you have created us, male and female, both to image you, to show your goodness, your grace, and your power. Father, we thank you for the stories of these unsung heroes. May their songs no longer be unsung, but may we be a people who recognizes and celebrates and cherishes these strong, capable, capable, powerful ezers in Scripture and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.